Media's Consumers Podcast for the week of July 24th. My name is Justin D. Hurd. My name is Nathan Simon. Before we get started, I do want to um, recommend a new YouTube channel. Just start. Just started out. It's called Lessons from the Screenplay. As of this recording, they ha- only have three episodes, but it's Ghostbusters, Independence Day, and Gone Girl, analyzing the script and you know what made those scripts great. Comparing the the finished product to to a draft of the screenplay. Exactly. So, which is a lot of what I've been doing recently on my own while I've been working with my buddy on a, a screenplay of our own. So, are you dissecting, like, kind of uh, trying to yes. pull them apart, see where they went wrong, and all uh, that? Well, studying, studying, like, uh, descriptions, dialogue, log lines, slug lines, like the way things are worded, the way things are structured, how much emphasis and. You know, the difference between, like, say, Wes Anderson writing for himself and Shane Black writing for any director. Right. You know, the kind of openness you kind of have to have uh, compared to, like, someone who, if you know you're writing your own movie for yourself to direct and you already know what you can get away with, you know, and you can be really specific. Right. See, my my thing has always kind of been, or more recently since I write genre-bending novels, is... How often genre bending stuff fails? It's tough. It's not easy. I mean, you gotta gotta be super aware of the tropes, and you. It almost the it almost has to have a meta level, but even if it's just in the background, right? Like, well, I mean, I'm even thinking of stuff like um, Daybreakers. I seem to remember reading part of the script for that, and I have a huge issue where the movie goes, and that's a decision the writers made, like. To me, there was a lot of groundwork laid to go in an entirely different direction that, you know, has the domino reality effect. <laughs> Which was definitely something interesting we just learned. I just learned about. So, so lessons from the screenplay, kids. Yeah. So, uh, um, now specifically, uh, recently, uh, today, in fact, I, uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine, we'd, we'd read Shane Black's Lethal Weapon great script. as it's always been known just shane shane black's yeah. lethal weapon not lethal weapon it's shane, shane black's. black's lethal weapon yeah because that script is phenomenal the movie <sighs> i have not seen this movie since like in its completeness probably since the early and mid 90s whenever like two or three were com- two and three came two three four came out was I guess four was like ninety nine or some ninety eight. Uh, who knows? I, ne- I actually yeah. never saw that one. I never saw it either, but uh, I just know it came out. So I guess my question is: Is it like because you were mentioning like if you're directing your own thing, you can get away with a lot more specificity? Like, is it? It's the fact that the screenplay is inc- is a noir. The right. screenplay is almost is directly a noir. It's dark. It's really intense. Um, the it there's a lot of story value to everything. Well, I guess my, what I was more getting at just as a real quick question was, is it like as detailed and relying on dialogue or whatever as like kiss, kiss, bang, bang is because kiss, kiss, bang, bang is incredibly dense. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang is more dense. There is a lot of description stuff, but it makes sense to why you would tell someone that. 
just okay. so that way you would know kind of what's going into the whole what what your idea is so that they can take it and interpret it to the screen I would say it's probably a little bit more overwritten than modern screenplays usually are okay. for for right. just a screenwriter uh, and I and kiss kiss bang bang at that point he's directing so right you know and that was kind of my yeah what I was getting at is did did he Try and do that with early scripts, and then there's re- a, there's realize a little bit of it. There was like you know limitations. Yeah, there's, uh, the thing is, is like <laughs> the helicopters in that movie. They're in the script. All you know, I mean, like it's very. It's not super different in some aspects. The biggest thing that for me that really kills it is the cinematography and uh, the editing. The editing of that movie is awful. <laughs> Thanks, Tony Zhao. You, right. <laughs> thank you for teaching me what good editing is, because I because I I don't notice it in good movies, and I really notice it in movies that are frustrating. Like, why is this? Why did you cut from that to that? Right. There were just so many bad cuts, cuts that didn't make sense, like too long, like. For the, for the cuts, just not. They just. I don't know if it was just because pacing. They cut out a shit ton of scenes that didn't need to be cut out. If you really wanted Riggs to come across as this, as you do, as this kind of loose cannon guy, they cut out almost all of it, other than like two scenes in his house. One where he wakes up drinking a beer, and the other where he, you know puts a gun in his mouth and those are the only two scenes you get but like there's all this story value they cut out there's even he hands at the very end he takes a bullet and he gives it to uh, Rianne Murtaugh's daughter where in the script he specifically has a whole there's a whole scene about this one bullet this is the bullet I know I'm going to kill myself with it's not in the movie so her giving her that bullet doesn't fucking mean anything. But you can't have the finale. You can't have the closing image without that, without the dialogue. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense at all. But that scene doesn't make any sense because that has no story value. Right. Took all the story value away. Uh, it definitely. I think it's just it's that 80s cinema. You know, it doesn't know what it wants to be. Um. I, I actually, when I was reading the script, you want to know who I saw directing it in my head? Who's that? Tony Scott. Okay. Like, I saw more true romance, more uh, uh, enemy of the state, you know? Okay. Kind of different film stocks, different, you know? And, like, it's very one film stock. There's only one noir image in the whole movie. And Have I shown you the um, opening of Max Payne 3? I don't think so. Okay. Um because they go very much for um, Tony Scott, kind of man on fire, um, visual motifs with that you know, kind of texture kind of stuff. Textures, uh, things are blurring, and you know the light, everything like shifts. Like, yeah, there is one cool shot. It's not in the script. There's <laughs> this, they're way in the distance, and like there's this event that happens where everything converges in the desert for for one scene um there's a long long shot and like the way the heat 
is rippling up, makes it look like uh, the whole scene's a mirage. Beautiful shot, piece of shit movie. Uh, <laughs> I know some people will completely disagree with me, and that's fine. But that is, since you brought up uh, specifically, um, uh, but lessons from the screenplay. from the screenplay. Sorry, the word would not come to me. Now, I will also recommend a YouTube channel I just found out about that's fucking eight years old, but only has like thirty, like maybe thirty videos. Captain Disillusion. He mostly does, like, debunking kind of stuff. Like, proving things are photoshopped or faked or uh, special effects when they're... uh, And he breaks it down very scientifically and stuff. He's kind of a funny character. Uh, He has, like, silver paint uh, on the bottom half of his face. He did a crossover episode with Beekman. Okay. The real... Beekman from Beekman's world. They did, they shot it like Beekman. They did all the kind of gags in the kind of Beekman style. It was really fun. A lot of his stuff is, you know, he, you can tell he's doing it himself, but you can tell he's pretty good with special effects because some of his videos look incredible, the things he can do. So I would recommend Captain Disillusion. I just found out about him, just started. Uh, but, uh, so, I watched a little movie called Swiss Army Man. Okay. Uh, Paul Dano plays a guy named Hank. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe plays a corpse named Manny. Um, This is one of the best comedies I've seen in a long time. Okay. Uh, I I would say like the... You can tell that this was definitely influenced by Michel Gondry. Okay. You can tell there's some Charlie Kaufman influence, especially with the kind of like creating a conceit, you know, uh, and the kind of like looking through the perspective of the characters because Hank has to teach Manny about the world again. He does, so he doesn't remember what masturbating is and he doesn't remember what, you know, sex is or people or. He doesn't remember all the stuff, so Hank has to teach him, and Hank has to tell him in his own little weird way. And there's there's all these great little moments. Uh, there's some explicit references to Spielberg uh, in some shots and some music callback kind of stuff. And there's also a little bit of Edgar Wright in it, um, specifically with the way they kind of interpret the movie influences. If I was going to do... Uh, so, quarter to three... They do over-unders for movies they watch. Um, I'm not really going to say over-unders. I'm going to say movies that I feel like are... Without these movies, we wouldn't have it. So, like, Science of Sleep, the Michel Gondry uh, adaptation, Spike Jones, uh, Right. Charlie Kaufman, E.T., Scott Pilgrim, and Harold and Maude. Okay. The kind of odd couple, uh, you know... Right, right. This felt like a movie that was more out of the 70s in that way of like the kind of weird art houseness to a movie that's really funny like and dark and uh and it really preserves its twist see i you know that this is one that i've kind of heard about didn't really have any interest in and then you made some overt thing saying i just want to rave about this and yeah. i want to see it just haven't got to yeah you should definitely go there and say 
So if uh, so, the Daniels, the directors. Um, oh, another movie I should say is being John Malkovich, which is another uh, Spike Jones, uh, Charlie Kaufman collaboration. But uh, Dan Kwan and Daniel uh, uh, Scheinert. Uh, they've mostly done short films, music videos, and a couple Adult Swim, uh, NTSF SD SUV, <laughs> and uh, an episode of Children's Hospital. Okay. Now, as far as music videos, the music video you should watch after you see the movie or before, whichever you want to do, is turned down for what? Okay. They did the Little John DJ Snake video. It's funny. And it kind of plays into some of the stuff that they're kind of exploring. With if there's anything that I would describe this as is a intellectual fart joke, and it has the most whimsical dick joke I've ever seen. I've heard about that one. So <laughs> yeah, it's literally the most whimsical dick joke. Like Kevin Smith should watch this movie just to learn what a whimsical dick joke is like, because okay. it's like as far as I mean, stick and fart jokes and. But it's fucking high concept. So well crafted. Amazing. I really want to dive deep down like <laughs> the rabbit hole of the Daniels. Um, so go out. See uh, see uh, Swiss Army Man. It's totally worth it if it's playing in your area and you have not seen it. If it's playing at the Dollar Theater, go see it. If it's not coming to your area go ahead spend the 15 bucks watch it on vod you know if it's already on there <laughs> um which knowing a24 it might be you know right uh another movie uh, you should totally check out um i i watched this documentary years ago it's called fast cheap and out of control it's a errol morris documentary um it follows four men. One is a roboticist. One is a topiary gardener. One is a expert in naked mole rats. And the other is a circus animal trainer. Um, the movie starts mostly with interviews. Direct the camera interviews slowly cutting in footage that relates to the things that they're that they're that they do directly like not not a lot of crazy cuts or anything slowly it starts to interweave some of the like some of the voiceover from the interviews over each other's footage okay and integrate you know more fully integrating the whole concept it's probably if you you really wanted to see what Eisenstein meant by uh, thesis and antithesis and synthesis. His whole concept of uh, of montage, the, his theory of montage. If you want to see, like, probably one of the best examples, especially in documentary film, this is probably there's so many associational edits and stuff, and in some ways it kind of takes the kind of what would be a really bore, what could be potentially a really boring art film, art arty tome poem documentary and turns it into right. this like powerful meaningful thing that explores uh life death meaning of the or life how life conquers how nature uh interacts with reality the naked mole rats what's interesting about them is the fact that they have an insect-like culture 
even though they're mammals. They're the only mammal that has an insect top-down structure okay. where there's a queen and there's drones. Um, and then the circus animal trainer, like the big thing you get from him is like that the, you have to always know that these animals can kill you. You know, if you're not thinking, if you're not watching, if you're not paying attention to how smart the animal is and the intelligence of the animal, if you're disrespecting that intelligence, you will die. Uh, the topiary gardener, the big thing is like time. How and how like nature will like destroy a topi, uh, one of the topiaries and it had, takes years for it to regrow. There's one that like, it was a giraffe and the giraffe had got like screwed up in a storm and the lady who he was doing the topiaries for she was like I'm not going to live long enough to see it have a head again and she was like 60 and she lived till she was in her 90s like expectation reality and then the roboticist he uh, goes specifically into uh, the he looks at what the other people are assuming and then he takes that assumption away specifically when people were first developing robots they were trying to invent stability where where it could walk like a, a person who's walking upright who has who's completely stable and he was looking at ants and going ants fall down all the time what if we program them to be able to fall down kind of like what is happening with boston dynamics now yeah, and yeah. this guy totally laid the groundwork okay. for this stuff um completely fascinating if you like documentaries and you haven't been checking out Errol Morris, you should be. Uh, he makes fantastic documentaries. The Thin Blue Line, right. Fog of War, uh, Unknown Known, uh, Tabloid. I mean, he's made a bunch of them. But this one is definitely the one where it's multi-subject. It's one of his few that's multi-subject. I, the one thing I would have to just to interject is um, the weird thing about the Thin Blue Line now is that it's good. Mm-hmm. But it has been totally. It's one of those that it's totally been eclipsed now. Oh yeah, yeah. By stuff like making a murderer, even serial, yeah. and the, just but how it, in depth you can go. But these wouldn't exist without it. It's, but also think of how long it took, right, for people to get to catch up to that style, right? It, it, but it, you know, it's one of those things. It's like going back and watching Richard Pryor now. Yeah, there are some good jokes, but a lot of what made Richard Pryor the legend that he is or was whatever is kind of lost now because that is what we now expect from our comedians yeah and he was crossing lines and breaking racial barriers and you know all that you know and and you discussing race openly and doing a lot of things that people didn't do in the 60s and 70s and he was doing it right but now you watch it and go what what makes what? Why is this special? And then you have to kind of go, take yeah. the historian look at it and go. Well, I guess uh, I was. I guess I was kind of lucky though. I I watched a lot of those when I was still a teenager, like especially live at the Sunset Strip. Right. And, like I I saw those at a young enough age that it was still hilarious. I mean, it's also the yeah. same stuff with like Blair Witch. Like going back and watching Blair Witch now, the first real found footage movie. Yeah, and just going like, okay, I don't see what makes this horrific, but then you have Paranormal Activity, which for me is the perfect found footage movie, and how it builds on everything that Blair Witch, what made Blair Witch phenomenal initially, but now just 
it ramped up. And yeah, it ramped it up and played with the rules and set your expectations and then fucked with you. And the only, you know, what I love about Paranormal Activity, just as an aside, is that the one time that Mika break does not take the camera with him is the time he dies. From the moment him turning it on... He's always he, taking it with him. Yeah, I mean, except for going on the date, and that's whenever you see the Ouija board set on fire. But, you know, throughout the rest of it, anytime there's danger, he stops, grabs the camera, and runs to it. And that's the one time where he's like, no, fuck it, this is real. And that's when he dies. Like, yeah. it's a great just playing against type. And your expectations for what has happened before. Uh, I did see someone was showing their kids Blair Witch. Uh-huh. And they were, because, you know, they're young, they were totally telling them it was real. Of course. Just well, I mean, even that still happened with Paranormal Activity is that I had discussions with my neighbors at the time that were just like, man, it's based off of, like, that. this actually happened, like, had you, like this footage. And I'm like, no, guys, this is the same thing as Blair Witch Project. It's I'm, a fiction. I'm sorry to, like, break this to you. Like, but I'm glad that you bought the premise but uh, um, the only thing uh, the only thing I want to talk about is if you have not reading Marvel Comics vote Loki you are probably missing the best parody of the American election cycle right now without being just an, uh, an explicit Donald Trump joke for those of you who haven't seen a Marvel movie uh Loki, the Asgardian brother of Thor, who is the god of lies and illusion, is running for president because apparently he can prove that he was born in America. <laughs> I mean, of course. Um, it's written by uh, a guy who named Christopher Hastings. He's done a webcomic for a really long time called Dr. McNinja. I hadn't really heard of it before. Uh, he's also the person who writes the Adventure Time comics right now. Okay. And he's also writing Gwynpool for Marvel, which is like a Deadpool version of Gwen Stacy. I don't know if it's a clone or not. I haven't read it yet. So, uh, The two artists, uh, Langdon Foss did the first issue and Paul McCaffrey did the second issue. I do believe Langdon Foss is doing the rest of the run. But it's a, I think it's supposed to be a four-issue miniseries. Uh, the first issue is at Laugh Out Loud Awesome. Uh, the second issue is also great. Um, it also deals with some stuff from uh, Batman v Superman of the kind of like collateral damage elements. Uh, and uh, Reporter, like the, la the ladies are Reporter, who, who actually does reporting, <laughs> who is a real investigative journalist. I'm sorry, that doesn't exist. I know, right? Um, so, uh, if you're not reading Vote Loki, if you're not reading Black Panther, if you're not reading some of the current Marvel stuff, you're really missing out on some good uh, super superhero comics that are really different than what is kind of going on normally. Uh, if you don't care about Civil War II, that's okay. you know. But there's other comics to read. <laughs> Ultimates, Vision. You know, I mean, er everybody stuff. has to have their big uh, you crossover know. every year. Yeah, apparently. Because you got to waste all the money and burn through story for no reason. Exactly. So, uh, Justin, what have you been consuming? 
Well, one thing, since you mentioned investigative uh, reporters, I just want to mention is that on Netflix, they just added Spotlight. Yeah. Oh, and The Big Short. I watched The Big Short as well. Did you like it? Oh, holy fuck. <laughs> I want to watch that movie again. And yeah. Again. Like, I, I want to watch it like three or four times. Ryan Gosling is almost... If I didn't know for sure it was Ryan Gosling, I wouldn't have known. Like, if, if, if I didn't know what Ryan Gosling looked like, I wouldn't have known that that was Ryan Gosling. Right. You know, like, he's I, so different. Like it's so just as a big short aside, the thing I really like about it is how it plays it as a true story and then will make contrivances to make stuff happen sooner and have the character step aside and say, This isn't actually how it happened, it actually happened like this, but this is more cinematic. So, and also bear, like, bear with us, we'll do the other thing where you think that's a cinematic and they go, No, he actually did that. That's the type of bullshit. Now you know the bullshit I have to deal with. You yeah. know, like... Yeah, I'm, I think um, my favorite scene just has to be when they're at in Vegas at the conference and he meets with the guy and finds out about... Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but the virtual ones where they're taking... You know, they're creating the fake... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the C tower. They're taking from A yeah. and taking from B to make C, yeah. which is just building on top of the corruption of the other ones. Like yep. they can take all this shit from these and still get a good rating on this yeah. one. You and can it, bundle it, enough shit that you get a triple A AAA rating on what is basically worthless, worthless stuff. And him just looking at the guy like, what the fuck? Fuck. That was actually one of my... I, I almost wish that that was shot a little differently. Um, but, like, that's just my personal... Like, I can just to kind of explore more of the, like, pulling away all right. the different elements. Um, but that but, was so cool. It was a great visual representation of, like, right. how fucked everything Well, and really even, was. like, just the way they explain most things. Like, I, I could probably do without the celebrity cameos to explain this stuff but i absolutely love how he used jingle blocks to explain it oh yeah I, and like every the, every facet of that movie i really just, did like the celebrity cameos they, they didn't i mean it was it, they were nice but they didn't really you know it was literally just they also don't have any story value exactly. other than other than it's a way to make exposition interesting right which hey more power to you you took the you were like there's no we're gonna way. Ha- we're gonna have a movie about the housing market collapse. Yeah, but also express the fact that like no one thought that shit was gonna happen. Right, because it had been like this stable thing for eighty years. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is, you know, what they the little text crawl at the end is the guy who figured out what was going on, who set you know all these other people into motion, has been you know audited. And, you know, is under investigation basically because he ran the numbers and went, oh, shit, this is going to happen. And nobody believed him. And he he was Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day for this happening. Yeah. He had his timer. He had his clock. He's like, it's going to happen because you see these things, this law takes an effect and it's going to do this and it's going to change the numbers and people aren't going to be able to afford their mortgages and it's all going to collapse. And everyone's like bullshit fuck you well and that's why they all were like oh yeah totally we'll take your money this is never gonna fucking happen and, and then off to, he doubled his money right 
2.6 billion f 1.3 yeah that's I mean, incredible the, a lot of the other people did a lot better but yeah still but like, he's the one who knew the who knew first right now, uh, christian bell did feel a little wasted he did and i mean there i guess my biggest complaint with it would be that it is uneven with the characters and I think it's just like he would just show up to go. People are trying to withdraw. I'm having to make a hard decision. Fuck. Okay, I guess I might ruin it. Oh no, I did it. Yeah. Like that—that's essentially his character arc. Yeah, I was right. I listened to metal a lot, a lot of metal, and I and I learned a Pantera song on the drums. Good job, Christian Bale. So there you go. <laughs> Um. So that that's our big short. Watch big short and watch Spotlight. Yeah, if you haven't seen Spotlight, you're missing out. Yeah. Um. So I watched Kung Fu Panda three. Oh. Have you seen any of the Kung Fu Pandas? I've seen part of the first one. Okay, you really, honestly, do need to sit down and watch the whole Kung Fu Panda one. To me, it is a near perfect movie it is pixar quality and that's a dreamworks right it is and if, to me it's it's one of my favorite movies it does a perfect job creating a world i mean it's jack black playing a panda who is obsessed with kung fu and through a complete fluke gets chosen to be the dragon warrior and so he is with his idols trying to learn to do kung fu as a panda <laughs> but it's got dustin hoffman david cross angelina jolie um seth rogan i'm trying to think of jackie chan is in it I'm trying to think of who the other person is lucy Liu. like and then um ian mcshane is the villain Ian McShane. Why do I know? Um, trying to think of. Did you watch? You can pu- probably pull up his picture faster than I can go through this. As soon as you see him, you will know him. He was in Deadwood. Um, he was in American Horror Story: Asylum. Yeah, I haven't seen Asylum. I've only seen the first season of Ian McShane. He plays the bad guy in everything, essentially. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um. But the idea is that um, he Jack Black is chosen to be the um, like Jack Black's father is a goose. <laughs> and what I love about the first one, it's like it, I believe it came out before How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, but it like How to Train Your Dragon was the follow up to Kung Fu Panda, which How to Train Your Dragon one and two are perfect movies, especially one. Right. One is such a good, uh, though two has the better story. Yeah, I, but I think two lives up to one. Oh yeah, actually, I think in some ways it's one of those. It's a perfect sequel. It is completely. You know, you know it's it, it raises the stakes. It changes. It doesn't uh, just retcon the narrative. Right. It actually goes to a logical place of something that was unanswered from the first movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't something we knew. It wasn't something they had given us an answer for and then retconned it. So um, part of what I love about um, 
like Kung Fu Panda for me, the last 40 minutes of the movie is perfect. Nothing needs to be taken out. The moment he starts to learn Kung Fu to the end is perfect. Like, one of my favorite things is he learns Kung Fu based off of him being a fat, overweight panda who wants to eat. (laughs) So his master takes him out to the middle of nowhere and refuses to feed him. Until he learns Kung Fu. Right. So, like, he makes him do push-ups by putting soup in front of him. So he has to, you know, go down and try to get to that, but then push himself back up. Like, I'll show you that training montage because it's amazing. But their last fight is over dumplings. <laughs> and then that stuff translates completely into the final fight awesome. of it. One of my favorite things about it, though, is that they play with the adoption thing that the goose is not his real father. But they never actually address it. And that's what I love about the first one is that, like, at one point, like, the stakes are super high. He's found, he's found out, you know stuff about the dragon warrior thing that like oh uge the master who chose me he was just crazy okay like i'm not the dragon warrior and his father goes son i think it's time i told you something very important it's like oh okay the secret ingredient to my secret ingredient soup oh uh, okay okay it's nothing like, and the entire thing is, like, you're thinking he's about to say, I'm not your real dad, you know, but I still I still love you. And no, it's entirely something that the father is so completely oblivious to the fact that he's a panda, that, that his son is a panda, <laughs> he's a goose, like, all this stuff, like, he is his son. And I absolutely love that about that. Now, the problem is that Kung Fu Panda 2 came out, and it just felt like an extended thing, like you could probably cut out 45 minutes of it and add it on to the first one and it would still be a perfect movie. Like, the first one with the second one would be perfect. And it starts going into the whole thing of him being adopted and him actually being part of a secret panda village. And going against the peacock who tried to exterminate all the other pandas. So the third one is very weird to watch right now because of a little app that came out called Pokemon Go. Yeah. The third one is about a yak named Kai who is um was beat 500 years ago. He's the whole thing deal, goes around Chi where um basically he has spent the last 500 years training and capturing the chi of all these masters. And he puts them into little jade orbs that he can then release as jade figures that fight for him. <laughs> and so he manages to come back to the real world after 500 years. And nobody remembers who he is. And he's out to destroy the dragon warrior. And this is like, um, it's got um, J.K. Simmons as the lead bad guy. It has Brian Cranston as Jack Black's father, who's another panda. Um, they're in a panda village. Um, 
there are some things that I think are you ha you actually do have to pay close, careful attention to some of the details because I missed it the first time around, and then at the very last scene, they're doing callbacks. But to me, it just felt like these are weird one-off jokes. Oh wait, this is a callback to the beginning. It's not necessarily the cleanest way of doing it. Um, but the one thing I will totally say is that the visuals of Kung Fu Panda 3 are astonishing. Um, Kung Fu Panda has this like very stark 2D um, look at the very beginning when it's his dreams. Yeah. That none of the they have never really been able to replicate in 3d it's always just been the 2d thing this is the first one to take it and put it into the 3d realm with stark colors and just the way everything interacts where you go oh wow they actually put this together um it also does a really cool th the bad guy he has um i don't even know what the blades are called but it's basically kratos's blades from god of war Okay. where they're on the chains and he has them wrapped around him and he just walks circling them around and they're j made out of jade and they'll hit the ground and spark green light as he's walking you know stuff like that so the, the details right yeah little details but um it's i think the first one that actually is a joint venture with china okay which a lot of movies are doing now because china has all the money well you have them um they only let a certain number of movies into China a year. So. Right. Then you have stuff like Iron Man 3 where they totally just kind of go, oh, and, and uh, one of the Transformers where they're like, oh, yeah, we'll totally take your money. And then they just do throwaway scenes. Like this one feels like, you know, Chinese animators came in and went, we can do this. We can make this something special. We, we can add 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 a little pizzazz to it right so um my kids have been watching that it's weird it's one of those movies that my kids keep watching but they don't w ask to watch it again like kung fu panda they'll watch over and over again kung fu panda 3 they're sucked in while it's on but they're i go you want to watch that again no which is kind of weird so i don't know the first time my son watched it he actually had to hold my hand because he was scared for um Poe and like Poe goes to the spirit realm to fight the guy and then releases everybody else but stays in the spirit realm for a while and Graham just kept asking is where's Poe why is he not coming back like, like it's okay it'll be fine like actually had me tearing up and all that stuff when certain stuff happened so awesome really well done um oh, would you rather hear about an old horror movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night, or Penny Dreadful Season 1? Doesn't matter. I hate you. Do the old movie. Okay. So um, I've been watching the channel Good Bad Flicks. Uh -huh. um, and for some reason, I just happened to trip over all their Christmas-related episodes, like Black Xmas, Black Christmas. Um, I haven't watched the Rare Exports one because I actually want to watch that. Yeah. But um, with Silent Night, Deadly Night, it was apparently the third thing that came out within like a year that was a, based around Santa, a killer Santa. Okay. It's a slasher movie. It came out even before Halloween. Wow. Um, and the thing is, is it's actually done by the same director as A Christmas Story. 
Weird. But it is an R-rated Sant- killer Santa movie um, where the premise is you are actually, whereas most movies, it's about the victims trying to escape the killer. And this one, it's about how the killer became the killer. Okay. So you're in the killer's point of view, or you, you're experiencing what happened to the killer from when he's like a five-year-old boy who's excited to go see Santa and goes to a um, kind of mental institute, old person's home for where his grandfather basically um, fakes catatonia his parents leave him alone with his grandfather and his grandfather finally kind of goes and starts talking to him and tells him that Santa punishes anybody who has been naughty even once during the year. Interesting. So if you have not been a good boy all year, he is going to punish you. As his family is driving home, they come across a guy who's dressed as Santa who tries to rape the mother Slits the throat, shoots his father in the head. Holy shit! And um, I be- I think his brother actually survives. But anyway, he ends up in a nunnery, so it jumps a few years to where he's like ten, and he's afraid of Santa, and he's afraid of being punished, and it's always around there that he totally devolves. And you have the you know the overly strict um, head. Um, Mother Superior, who is going to have him sit on Santa's lap. And he instead punches Santa and runs away, and he gets punished. And then it jumps forward to him being, you know, 18 or whatever, working, getting a job at a toy store as a stock guy. Christmas comes around, their Santa breaks the leg, and they put him into the Santa suit. Oh, no. And then they have a party after that. And one of the guys tries to rape the girl in the back room. So he goes up and hangs him, you know, lifts him up and basically hangs him with some Christmas lights. The woman freaks out, so he kills her because she's been naughty. And then goes on a rampage killing naughty people who have been naughty. (laughs) And it's just kind of really, you know, I won't say it's great. But it, yeah. it is interesting how it spends so much time setting up why he becomes this. Like, he goes on autopilot because for him, if you've been naughty at all... Santa's coming to kill you. Exactly. And at one point, they're like he goes into a house. Like, the boyfriend and girlfriend are about to fuck. Like, the girlfriend ends up going up the stairs to let the cat in. And he comes up, kills her kills the boyfriend and then the girlfriend's little sister comes sees it Santa and comes out and you can tell he's about to kill her and you know have you been you know good this year yeah have you been naughty at all no I've been good I'm sure and so he gives her a bloody box cutter knife and then walks out <laughs> like and then the police are hunting down other people a male Santa dressed as suit accidentally killing the wrong people as he's heading to a certain place. Like, so as I said, it's not great, but at least it's interesting and it's kind of playing with 
the trope. So of, the first act is very much this is how he gets there. Um, or does it even kind of venture into act two? I mean, it's it's even act two, like okay. So the midpoint is when he kind of yeah it turns and becomes the rampaging yeah and it, and it and it's not it's as um, kind of good bad flicks put it the people he kills is kind of ancillary like there's not even really a good reason yeah for him to, but it's that they've been they've been naughty and that's why his like there's one scene where the he is having the little kids sit on him and the little girl squirming and kicking. And he's like, "Why do you keep kicking? Calm down. You, what you're doing is naughty, and Santa will punish you if you're, you know, if you're naughty. Stop! Like trying to warn her, and she stops. And then you hear the parents in the background. He's so good with the children, like you know, <laughs> stuff like that. It's just like okay, the, it's just. I I'd have to say like one of the interesting things is. It's still slow, kind of the way that 80s cinema was, yeah. but um, there is a, a decent scene where there is a cop on the grounds of the um, orphanage, and he comes up to a building, goes down the stairs through the building, and I think it is a one-shot of him circling the bottom f- floor of it, of this decrepit building, not finding anything, kind of putting up his gun, pulling, you know, pulling his jacket aside and going up the stairs and then gets killed by the killer and falling down the stairs. And it's like, okay, you know, that's actually really good tension. Like you expect to be your expectations. Yeah. Kind of, you know, it, so it's the thing that makes silent night, deadly night, um, a big kind of mention is it became part of a huge campaign to get it completely wiped. You know, Weird. yeah, like taken out of cinema and all this stuff. So you know, it's just one of those. Like it actually sounds like a horror movie that I would enjoy because it play because it's. And what's funny is it's early, and it's already playing with things that most people don't even play with now. Right. You know. I mean, the um, I can think of at least more of a comedy bent would be behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon, which I don't know if you've seen. No. Um, but the conceit of that is just that he is he's hired a documentary crew it's in a reality where michael myers um freddie freddie jason all those people are actual serial killers in the world and there's a uh, um, a cult of personality around serial killers supernatural serial killers and so this documentary crew is following this would-be serial killer as he gets everything set up to start. And really, really interesting kind of playing with the tropes of it until it finally becomes an actual horror movie. And this is Behind the Mask 3? It's just called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. The Rise of... Yeah, I mean, it even has... um, Oh, it has Robert England in it. Oh. Um, I think it has... My, I can't remember if Malcolm McDowell's in it, but I know at one point he meets with some family that used to be serial killers that helped train him, and they have a um, lament configuration sitting on their table. You know, it, it's definitely playing with these are the horror tropes. You know what yeah. it is. Let's go with that. Was that eighties or nineties? Uh, Behind the Mask was like two thousand four. Oh, so it's more recent. Now. Yeah, it, but it's you know, but it's really like playing with your expectations. 
playing with what's real. Yeah, and make you know making you laugh about certain stuff. Like there's definitely a Doctor Loomis sort of figure that comes so, in. So would you say in some ways it's kind of like a precursor to like Cabin in the Woods, where it's a horror movie but it's also funny. Yeah, I would say that it's. Um, it, it has both. You yeah, know? it's definitely more playing with the idea of it, kind of like Scream. Okay, like that so sort the of thing. Meta. Yeah, where it's like okay, well, so like him planning out how the night's going to go with getting the virginal character who, you know, you kill off this person, you do this, you set this trap, this is going to kill this person. So then the virginal character can have a rebirth where then she kills me with an ax, which is a very phallic symbol, you know, so she is, you know, like stuff like that. So, so it, in some ways, that's a better sequel to Scream than Scream 2 ever was going to be. Probably. I'd say better than Scream 3 was. Okay. So, um, the last thing I saw was Independence Day Resurgence. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, um... Well, uh, uh, I don't... I don't... I don't uh, must go faster. Must go faster. Uh, yeah. Must go, must go <laughs> faster. So... That was my terrible Jeff Goldblum. I, I, I see. Yeah. You, okay. You, yeah. you, you do. Yeah, I, uh, I d- oh. uh, you do. You, um, uh, somebody, uh, somebody get this man some water. Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess I, I, you know, with the same qualification everybody gives, I absolutely loved the original Independence Day. Saw it in theaters when it came out. I loved it when I first saw it. Wow. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I just bought a updated restoration, so I'm gonna sit down and watch it. So I've, after after you watch it, watch the watch the nostalgia chick. Okay. The films of Roland Emmerich. Well, because that's something I wanted to kind of touch on is that I watched it with my parents on Independence Day. My mother did not realize that it was directed by the same guy who did Stargate and the original Independence Day. Stargate, I could see, because Stargate is so different right. in a lot of ways. But, but she thought it was some other director taking on the mantle. She was completely blown away that it was the same director. Interesting. And going, how you know... She wouldn't put it this way, but essentially, how the fuck do you get this piece of shit Out of from the same director? Yeah, twenty years later. Yeah. So he made twenty twelve. That's how. That, that's how you get. Uh, but I have you seen Anonymous? No. I absolutely loved Anonymous. That was the Shakespeare movie, right? right. Um, the thing that's cool about Anonymous, Anonymous is it's actually a play. That's explaining Shakespeare within the movie, right? So it it starts out as a play that you can see them like setting up the sprinklers to do the rain effects and stuff like that, and then it transitions into the actual movie, and then they'll have like a break where it goes back to the play. Like they don't use it as well as they could have, but it's still an interesting conceit. It's also not his like global destruction movie. Well, they still have a war zone thing as the par- as the as they open cannon fire on London for some reason. So he incorporated something. There, there was that. Is 
Was White House Down him? Yes, it was. Okay. I have not seen White House Down. I've I have, seen. I've heard specifically that it's the best Die Hard movie since Die Hard Two. See, and I actually really liked um, Olympus Has Fallen. And I heard, I've, th- I've heard London Has Fallen is better because well, it's not the. But I thought Olympus Has Fallen was a really good Die Hard. So I need to see White House Down because I've heard that it's better, but that also just kind of comes from haters. So I I don't know. Um, well, Dan O'Brien, who does the right, uh, he he was the first person that kind of turned. He really breaks it down really well with like how, you know, for it being a comedy sketch, it's a very well thought out point. It's probably right. one of the most salient. But and at the same, but he's also the one who was just like you know completely shit on um, Olympus has fallen yeah. and going like okay well this is why this is better. Um, so, the basic premise of Independence Day Resurgence is that there is a homing... Apparently, there's been a whole bunch of novelizations in between. One of them deal, dealt with an African country where one of the ships actually touched down. And for the past... For ten years, they were in a war against... So the why aliens. Wasn't this the sequel? Exactly, but so they were in an they were in a war of attrition against in, the remaining aliens after right the ship crashed right, and it was sending out a distress signal that took twenty years to get to the aliens. Um, since the original the world has incorporated alien technology into our technology. Like, there's apparently a base on Saturn. There's a base on the moon. They've created weapons very similar to the aliens to repel repel them. Um, you know, you have bladeless helicopters. The entire world has been at peace since the war against the aliens. Except for this African country. Right, which, you know... Unnamed. It, it's kind of it like um, was it an unnamed African country? I can't remember. They Did it ma- just say Africa? No, I think they may have actually mentioned, but it's kind of like Johannesburg. Uh, so like South Africa. Yeah, that sort of thing. The idea is that the warlord, the um, the warlord who runs the place, he died, and now his son has taken over. So Jeff Goldblum, who is an ambassador or something like that, is able to go there and actually go and check the ship. But, um, so it's 20 year anniversary, a bunch of the people, including, um, the president, what was the, um, Bill Bill Pullman, Pullman. Bill Pullman, the war, the warlord son, who's now the warlord, um, and a whole Brent Spiner's character, all are connected to the alien ship and are all drawing this circular line there's a whole lot of stuff going on here, and none of it is set up. Like, you just jump to the moon base where Liam Hemsworth is at, and they're having witty banter, and one of them turns away and accidentally knocks over the space, or the, like, gun, so it's starting to fall onto the space station where the headquarters where everybody's issuing the order, you know, the command center. And Liam Hemsworth takes the vehicle they're in and holds it up and then activates the fusion drive to push it back into place. But he then gets grounded because he saved everybody, but he, he's the one who caused the mistake. You know, it's like, okay, so 
that's, you, that's, that's like a whole act. She yeah, had to do and a five-minute scene. Exactly. And it's like, okay, like you could this could have been set up and actually been an interesting premise. But it's in a five-minute scene. So, so what they should have done. <laughs> so I've made this point multiple times. I have not actually seen anybody else mention this. To me, this feels like a. it could have been a really good, high-quality, grounded television series to what there's weird stuff like Liam Hemsworth character is the fiance of the president's daughter from the first movie who they were all in flight school together with Will Smith's son yeah and Liam Hemsworth accidentally almost killed him by trying to pass him which caused his plane to clip his wing, which almost killed him. So now Liam Hemsworth is on the moon, whereas Will Smith's kid is meeting with the president. You know, stuff like that. Um, and Liam Hemsworth and the fiance have this weird thing where they're talking about houses, like pick a ha- you know, have you looked at the houses? Liam Hemsworth asking the president's, the former president's daughter, have you looked at the houses yet? And her going, no, I just really haven't had the time. And then right before he flies off on the mission, after the aliens have destroyed most of the world, going, I looked at the houses. I, I like this one with da 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 Okay, well, if it's still there, you know, which is a nice joke. But in a television series, you would have seen... You would have earned the joke. Right, you would have earned... You would have seen her look at the pictures. You know, there's so much in between. Um... Brent Spiner's back. Uh, apparently, he's been in a coma for 20 years. Um, but he wakes up and is immediately running around. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, like, you know, words. So, it, it's a... Didn't ver- he get shot full of bullets? No, he had been strangled by the alien. And then it shoved him up against the window, I think, threw him through the glass. No, it didn't throw him through the glass because they were firing at the alien. They were firing at the alien, but he didn't get hit. Okay. But he w- there was actually a line in the screenplay where they checked his pulse and they said, he's dead. But they cut that out of the movie. So technically, everybody correctly assumed he was dead. But they cut that out so that they could leave it open for the possibility of him returning. Because they got Brent Spiner. Exactly. Um... So the idea is an alien ship shows up, which looks an awfully lot like the head of the robot from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which they immediately shoot, and it goes flying across the moon. Um, Just to tell you how much our technology has advanced, Liam Hemsworth takes the same ship that he helped push the gun back into place that got him grounded, Within less than a day, like it's not even six hours probably, flies from the moon to the African country to pick up Jeff Goldblum, where they then fly back to the moon and go investigate the shuttle wreckage or the spaceship wreckage before the actual aliens show up. Okay. So, um,. This Judd, movie sounds like a giant mess. Yeah, Judd Hirsch shows back up. I, I saw that in the trailer. 
yeah. Um, he has a private boat, and he happens to be on the ocean whenever the ship comes through and creates a giant tidal wave. Randomly, there's a family of kids whose parents are dead oh. who see him passed out and decide to help him. Like you do. And then he takes over the car. They're running out of gas, so he then hijacks a school bus, which arrives just in time for the final confrontation. Of course it does. Right. Um, so the idea is the aliens show up, and they have like Reaper-class ships where they have a queen. They send in a giant... So now they have a queen? Right. But it's only for this ship. There's other queens. She's just a queen of this one, a giant one in the middle. So they send a giant attack thing. But the aliens have analyzed our technology and just renders them completely mute. The ship is so big that it actually has an internal... um, What's the word? Ecosystem. Ecosystem. Which kind of mirrors Vietnam. But you only see it for one scene. They go underneath the water to avoid some... The pilots who do survive go underwater to avoid some aliens. The next thing you see is that they're on the side of the ship about to hijack some ships. Like, so there's like a whole entire, like, ecosystem thing that they could have gone through for a couple of episodes. Like, and there's like, you're, you're talking like swaths of episodes that could be dedicated to all these different. Exactly. Like, this feels like it should have been a, t- like, 26 episode. Or 13-hour-long episodes. Maybe just even just six. Six-hour-long episodes. Yeah. Maybe Game of Thrones, so a 10-episode thing, where it just becomes, like, this is what we're doing. This is the story we're telling. You know, it's, what is it? Um, the Dark Tower. Like, uh, the last thing I heard was the Dark Tower was supposed to have... They're doing a telev- movie. They're doing a movie. Then, then a they're television doing television series. series and then, mm-hmm. like, a theatrical movie. release movies with the television series on HBO or whatever. With then, you know, kind of... Uh, they had the right idea. But for some reason, Independence Day just decided to throw everything at the wall and go from there. Like, the president, at, the current president gets attacked but we don't actually see her dying or what happens so another person gets sworn in and becomes the president at that point so you're assuming they're dead but you never see it and they don't even know they're just like well you know the bunker where she was at got attacked so we're assuming she's dead so you're gonna get sworn in um there's a whole like subplot of Brent Spiner trying out a bunch of different things to try and um, open up the remains from the wreckage, which is this giant head thing, which completely internalizes um, English in half a second by analyzing us, and then says basically we're a um, super, we're I'm the remnant of an alien race that. Ha- basically we go out and save civilizations before they die from this alien race that attacked you 20 years ago that is now attacking you now it basically becomes a giant MacGuffin yay MacGuffin right so they even redo the Randy Quaid sacrifice but this time it's Bill Pullman of course um, and he's, instead of you know hey boys I'm back or whatever he says you know happy 4th you know, whatever, and then blows himself up, and that doesn't even take it out. Instead, it becomes a giant kaiju movie. 
with a giant alien queen. Because Pacific Rim was a big gun movie. Yeah, it's. I like, made Godzilla the one everyone hated. You get you literally get less than five five minutes of Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch interacting together, which is some of the best stuff in that first movie, right? Um, so I guess other than me just explaining a bunch of smattering of scenes, literally this movie feels like you know I, I the way I've put it is that it's an anime. Um, with all the episodes cut out an anime movie like um, taking your favorite arc from a movie and trimming it down to an hour and a half it every scene feels like it's written to be a memorable scene as opposed to being part of a cohesive narrative Um, there's no sense of pacing at one point um, they're flying under they're dragged they're basically they're in the ship that went from the moon to the earth back to the moon they're carrying wreckage with them which actually has the alien ship that the aliens wanted all along but they're caught in the gravity all these national monuments are being pulled up and I think that's where he says they do like to get the landmarks and then he says what goes up must come down half of a second later all the stuff falls okay so that would have been something like he would say early on and then see this you know everything pulls up he says that and then five minutes later whenever it finally comes to a resting spot everything starts crashing down because then there would have been a setup and a payoff instead it's set up immediate payoff so there is there to me there felt like there were no stakes it felt like it just completely was trying to everything needed to be a memorable scene so nothing was a memorable scene yeah, it sound it sounds a lot like 2012. See, I, just, I I didn't watch 2012. I watched it late night one night, and uh, and then I've I've seen movie I've seen video analysis since then, and I remember watching it going, okay, stuff keeps happening and stuff keeps getting destroyed, but none of it makes any sense. Right, and I mean, why the fuck are there tornadoes destroying the Hollywood sign? Why are you know it's just or is that day after tomorrow? I get them all mixed up. It's like there's so many things that happen. I'm trying to remember, day after tomorrow was mostly. I just remember the freezing. Yeah, the cold. Yeah, the cold that can be stopped by closing a door. It's like the fire that can be stopped by jumping into away from it. No, as you do. You know. Um. So I don't know when it. It's not a good movie. I was ready to walk out within 20 minutes. There's even a uh, accountant type guy who's following Jeff Jeff Goldblum, um, who has no actual stated purpose. He's just trying to review paperwork as they're driving to the South African warlord camp. Goes along with him to the moon. When they're at the base at Area Fifty One with all the aliens, he ends up asking the warlord to give him one of his two machetes and to train him and the warlord walks off he eventually gets suited up in armor ends up killing a few aliens and kind of whatever and then his final payoff is that the warlord tells him that he is a man basically that he has earned his you know he's a wow you know this sounds fucking awful 
it's worth watching just because it's a fucking train wreck. See it at the Dollar Theater and just like try to un. As I said, it would have been a good television show. So this to me, um, what it sounds like, someone wrote a novel and they cut everything but the cool stuff out. That all the character work, all the all the world building and threw it in the trash. Right. And said, okay, all right, now we have a movie. <laughs> right. Because it sounds like they did a lot of setup to design, like redesign how Earth's technology looks. and But there's no reason for it. Right. And that's, that's, as I said, that's my biggest issue is that it feels like there, you know, it's, we talked about off mic, the, um, the Mallrats Blu-ray has an extended cut that literally is, has, um, TJ and his girlfriend breaking up the day before. Which you don't need for the actual movie at all. No, it's the movie works perfectly fine without it, but it's this long protracted scene that you're just like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, let's, you know, oh, 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 we're fighting, we're fighting. Oh, oh, we're breaking up. Oh, okay. And that's, it feels like there's a ton of setup. There's a lot of world building. They just decided to cut all of that and get right into the action. And when it happens, you're just left with, I really don't care. Like, imagine Battlestar Galactica without, with everything trimmed out of it that made you like the characters. Wow. Or uh, imagine Star Trek Into Darkness without any characters. I was going to say, imagine Star Trek Into Darkness without Wrath of Khan. That's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie anyway. Yeah. But, but you know that it's without all the context that makes you go, because that's that's all that Into Darkness is is yeah, it's trading you, it's, off what you know about Wrath of Khan. Right. So this is trading off of something that you know what everything else could be. Like, like I will definitely say, the uh, fighting on the in the African countryside. Like, yeah. That sounds fucking fascinating. Apparently, that's one of the novels. That's what I'm guessing, at least. That's kind of what it seems. And it, it, to me, I went, as soon as I walked out of that movie before I realized it was supposed to be one of the novels, and I might still be completely wrong about that, I went, why wasn't that movie made? Because that could have been, you could have had a different director. Right. Independence Day 2, uh, you know, Warlord. Right. Call it Independence Day Warlord. It's the tenure. I mean, ID4 Warlord. You know, yeah. even, you know, whatever. Uh, totally, you know, just trade off the fact that, like, you have this battle going on and it leads directly into the sun taking over. Right. But you also. but Oh, you, you mean, f- you mean Black Panther? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh,. But I'm just saying. Like, yeah, yeah, be, yeah, yeah. That would be the arc. Is like he's just he's a boy in the beginning. He's a man in like the third act, and his 
father's killed and he takes over. Uh, but with aliens. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, even some of the imagery reminded me of District 9 where it's, you know, this city that is built underneath. So, this. so what happened is they took all of the important science fiction movies that have happened since ID4. Right. They took Star Trek, the remake or reboot. They took uh, District 9. They took Pacific Rim. They took... Uh, what some of the and then they and then they took all the Roland Emmerich disaster movies, threw them in a blender, poured some Ender's Game on it, and called it a movie. Yeah, I mean, it, as I said, there are no stakes. It just, I mean, it's, you know, it takes out part of the moon while it's just going to Earth, like. That's all it had. Like, it, we didn't even need any more of a movie at that point. Like, it just flying towards Earth clips the moon. Yeah. It's like, okay, at that point, we're fucked anyway. Yeah. But you don't see any of that. Like, instead, you just get a very slow crawl as it goes. You know, and they set up a few things like, you know, if you kill the queen, it will recall all the ships. Essentially, the aliens are trying to get to our molten core. There's even a subplot. Why didn't they stop and get Jupiter? I don't know. They took out Saturn, though. So Why didn't they stop and get Jupiter? Don't know. It's like a mini star. So there's there's a subplot about a boat of like French treasure hunters that stay out in the middle of the ocean trying to get $100 million worth of gold from this ship... Which ends up being right next to where the main ship is using their high-powered lasers or whatever to drill through the Earth towards the molten core. So they decide, hey, we're all going to die anyway. Let's get fucking wasted. Get a call on their shortwave radio, apparently. And um, said, hey, we need to monitor how far they are from the core. You guys are the closest ship. Yeah. And they're just, ah, ha, ha, we'll do it for $100 million. <laughs> and then the person stops and goes, they say it's a deal. And I'll get up real quick and go to their stations. And we're all going to die anyways, but $100 million. Yeah. And then they start monitoring it. And then they're the, you know, team. I mean, it's stuff like that where it's just like, Literally, they did not just have a conversation where he said, we'll do it for $100 million. Okay, we'll get you guys $100 million. That conversation did not happen. But because he said, oh, yeah, they said it's okay, everybody goes, oh, shit, and starts working on it. So as I said, it is worth watching as a critical eye and just going, okay, I see how this could have a setup and a payoff but I'm just getting the payoff to something that's never been set up. So it's like the bullet at the end of Lethal Weapon. It's right. never set up. Never set up. Yeah, I, I guess my, my last very small thing is that I mentioned that the president's daughter was in flight school with Will Smith's son and Liam Hemsworth. She's grounded while taking care of her crazy father, played by Bill Pullman. Like you do. Who, who walks around with a cane, can barely even, like, 
get into his shoes, has this giant beard, but right before he decides to fly his suicide mission, shaves, gets rid of his cane, and is striding just like he was 20 years ago. But beforehand, when they do the initial attack, she stays back and does not fly the attack. So that she can... She ends up flying it later and being her father's wingman, even though she's trying to keep him from going and have her go instead to sacrifice herself. But it just seemed really head, weird for me for them my to. Head is already exploding. It just se- really seemed weird for me, especially with kind of the feminist ideals and all that stuff we're pushing. Yeah, you know, that's going on right now—the feminist revolution and all that stuff—that they would have a lead female character who's been a pilot be grounded during the major assault. And they eventually did pay it off, but it just seemed really weird. Like, the aliens are coming back. She's an ace pilot. She's the daughter of the, the president. The person who saved them the last time. Exactly. Why isn't she flying this mission? That just seems weird that she's just, no, I'm going to be the caregiver. And I looked at the houses. Like, oh. it, it's just really a lot of really weird decisions. Just sounds like a lot of really bad decisions. I mean, there is that. So, uh, Nathan, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on the Doobies Consumer Facebook page. Okay. You can also find me at Nate Wad Neutron on Twitter and at Nate Wad on Tumblr. Um, so, uh, Justin, do you want to bear witness to the holy, unholy litany? Well, that is your name. There might be some holes in it. Um, I am on the internet. Just look up Justin D. Hurd. That's he's, a, he's everywhere. Yeah, that's herd like a herd of cattle. Um, it's justindheard.com, justindheard.net, uh, at Justin D. Hurd on Twitter, real Justin D. Hurd on Facebook. As I said, if All you stuff. if you look online, I do dominate. Like it, it's insane. Just got to work better with my branding, you know. So, you know, make sure to... All the top 20 Google searches. You know, as you do. You just got to figure out how many people are actually searching it. Yeah. Um, Besides yourself. Oh, every day. (laughs) I mean, I will not never have that moment in Wanted where I look up myself and there are no results. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, be sure to like and um, subscribe to us, share it to people, let them know, give us a review on iTunes and Stitcher, set fire to the hive. Yo, share shit. Yeah. All that. That's the only way we grow. Make make your mom listen to it. Uh, Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But we're uh, probably only mildly charming. uh, Yeah. Something like that. You know. So uh, Nathan, do you have a final thought for us? Um, so, uh, uh, so I must go faster. Must go faster. Mm -hmm.